Let's go to our good friend Trevor Manich, who joins us now. Uh, Trev, you hear us talking about the coaching. You and I talked about the Raiders situation with with uh, Tom Telesco being named general manager the other day, along with um, the Antonio Pierce and how that tandem is going to work. How about some thoughts uh, with Atlanta's decision to go with Raheem Morris? You know, it's interesting that uh, that Bill Belichick didn't get any of those jobs. You know, there were, what, other than the Patriots, there were, what was it, seven jobs that were open, and timing's important here, too. But the Patriots didn't make the playoffs. And so, you know, the the fact that Bill Belichick became available, there were some multiple jobs open. And it's interesting looking at the trajectory because Bill Belichick is clearly one of the greatest coaches of all time. But he never won without Bill Brady, anything of significance. Or, excuse me, uh, Tom Brady, mm-hmm. anything of significance. You know, Cleveland, he didn't win much with the Patriots. Without without Brady, now with Drew Bledsoe before Brady, he, he won. But then things really took off, and all the Super Bowls happened with, with Brady, essentially. And then when Brady left, there was the big controversy of, whether or not Brady left because he just couldn't stand Belichick anymore because Belichick mismanaged Brady to the degree that Brady just had to leave. So then you had Brady go to Tampa, Belichick stays at New England, and we could answer the question to some degree, which uh, was more responsible for all those Super Bowls? I mean, clearly both contributed, but which was more responsible, if any? Well, Brady goes on to win a Super Bowl with Tampa, whereas the Patriots fell completely off the map without Brady, but with Belichick. And so, to me, the, the, the overriding big picture on this from a fan standpoint is you've got one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest NFL coach of all time, Bill Belichick, when his one quarterback that he had the great championship success with left, not only did his current team, the Patriots, fall off the map, but when they essentially asked him to resign, invited him to continue his coaching career elsewhere, nobody else wanted him. That is super weird as a, from a big picture standpoint. It's just, you know, again, there's, you know, what, what Atlanta needs to do, they, you know, they went with a younger guy. They went with a guy that, uh, you know, would bring a fresh perspective. Uh, and, and I can understand that, but it, it almost seems that with, Vrabel, Mike Vrabel getting bounced from the Titans and with other Josh McDaniels, other Belichick disciples not having a lot of success as head coaches. It almost seems like the feeling around the ownership circles is that, okay, the Patriot way, does the Patriot way work if you don't have a Tom Brady on board? And so these are things I think that uh, are kind of boat anchors on the the Bill Belichick hiring process. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you're in that neck of the woods there in Nashville and Tennessee, and uh, the Titans dismiss uh, Vrabel, and then they hire Brian Callahan as their head coach. I mean, five years as a uh, offensive coordinator with uh, Cincinnati, and I guess they're looking for someone to, you know, to develop Will Levis, so obviously Ryan Tannehill's time is done there. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts about why Bra- Vrabel was let go there in Tennessee and, and the hire of Callahan? I think the Patriot Way kind of yeah. kind of wore out its welcome there in Nashville locally. Vrabel sounded a lot like Belichick in all of his press conferences. 
where he wouldn't answer questions. He was gruff with the media. He would obfuscate and obscure. And, and I'm fine with that if a coach wants to do that. I don't think a, a head coach in the NFL needs to spill the beans to the public. He just needs to win games, right? But what ended up happening was that concept of, of tough defense, which the Titans played for a while, tough running game, which they had until their offensive line imploded about three years ago, and they weren't able to really get it back up to speed. They, they never did have that level of Brady quarterback, and so they never were able to succeed. And so, you know, going with an offensive coach, a relatively young offensive coach, I think was a good move for a variety of reasons. One is that the Titans are building a new stadium now, and they want to give fans a reason to come out and watch exciting football as they try to sell season tickets and PSLs and all the rest, right? But also because, guys, the this is now a quarterback league. I mean, just look at what the Houston Texans did this year. They brought in a rookie quarterback high in the draft, and then with the next pick, uh, their next pick, they also picked very high in the draft. I think it was number two and three, if I remember correctly. They picked a pass rusher, Will Anderson Jr., and then C.J. Stroud was the quarterback. So they got a quarterback, and they got a guy to disrupt the other team's quarterback, and they went from being one of the dregs of the league to a playoff team, and they're one of the exciting teams in the league. And so it's a quarterback league. You either you need a quarterback, and then you need to degrade the other guy's quarterback. And your coaching staff needs to reflect that. And continuity is a very important thing. That's one of the advantages of having an offensive-minded head coach. That when your offensive coordinator goes off to become a head coach somewhere else, you don't you don't bring in a new offensive coordinator with differences in his style and terminology and the rest that your quarterback needs to then learn before he can apply it at the highest speed possible. You've already got the head coach who will make sure the offense remains consistent for that quarterback, and the new offensive coordinator will put his own stamp on it, but he'll need to learn what's already happening there and apply his terminology to what the quarterback already knows, which helps the quarterback. That's what happened in in New England with Brady. I mean, every offensive coordinator that came in there put their own stamp on it, but it's not like they just said, okay, Tom, we're going to change the system, right? And having an offensive-minded head coach in Tennessee, that's what they wanted to do. Now, the Raiders with Antonio Pierce, young defensive-minded coach. Patriots with Gerard Mayo, young defensive-minded coach. You know, there are several of those that have been in there, so they're going to need to make sure that their offenses remain consistent enough that their quarterbacks aren't always starting from zero if they get a good offensive coordinator who gets hired away. Trevor Maddich joins us talking about uh, the news and notes here in the NFL. All right, let's get uh, cracking here on Sunday's games. We've got Kansas City and Baltimore. Baltimore a four-point favorite. And then San Francisco seven, still staying pretty rock solid there over Detroit. We'll get into our best bets here uh, in just a moment or two. But, uh, Trevor, first let's start with this Kansas City-Baltimore thing. What kind of football game do you anticipate seeing as, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously, this is like kind of dynasty material. They're going on the road for the second consecutive week. Uh, looked pretty good uh, in Buffalo last week. And then now Baltimore hosting this game. Uh, it's been a long time since the Ravens have hosted an AFC Championship game. What's going to happen here, brother? Well, the, the overall big picture is the the fact that you've got two of the greatest quarterbacks of their generation. I mean, you've got Patrick Mahomes, who's probably the best quarterback in the NFL, multiple Super Bowl winner with a whole lot more to come. And then you've got the multiple league MVP in Lamar Jackson. 
that's just going to be a fantastic matchup. I think it's not a matter of, in terms of winning this game, which quarterback performs the best. I think they'll perform at the high, high at a high level. I don't think either defense will do a whole lot to stop the other quarterback. The question is, which defense can stop the other quarterback's friends? And that's where I think Baltimore has an advantage. I mean, these are the top two scoring defenses in the regular season, top two sacking defenses in the regular season. But Baltimore's defense is largely intact. I mean, they don't have a whole lot of injury problems, although their corner, Marlon Humphrey, is listed as questionable, so that could be an issue. But I don't know that the uh, Chiefs are going to be able to take too much advantage of that because their receiver situation is not terribly dynamic. On the other side, though, the Chiefs have got all kinds of injury problems in in key places. I mean, they've got an all-pro left guard, Joe Tooney, who's been ruled out with a pec injury that he suffered last week in the playoff game against the Bills. And then they've got guys on all three levels of the defense, defensive line, linebacker, and secondary that are listed as questionable, guys that are banged up. And this is going against a very physical Ravens team. They're just going to have to hold up physically, even though they're, they're banged up. And so I think that Mahomes, the Ravens won't stop him in his own right, but I think they'll do a better job of slowing down the people around him. Now, when you talk about specifically the receivers for the Chiefs, they're just not very exciting, right? Rasheed Rice, the rookie, has been their best wide receiver down the stretch. Uh, Kadarius Tony is question blank. He might even be out. <clears throat> but Travis Kelsey, he's 34 years old. He's uh, still playing at a pretty good level. He's 6'5", 250. And the safeties and linebackers for the Ravens can run with him, and they can match up from a height standpoint, depending on who they put on him. Kyle Hamilton, Ravens safety, is 6'4", 220. And he's, he's phenomenal at covering tight ends exactly like Travis Kelsey. And so I, I think that they'll, the Ravens will do a good job of limiting the big plays of Kelsey in this game. And if they limit that, then where else is he going to go? Well, they'll run the ball with Isaiah Pacheco, right? Well, Pacheco is listening is questionable as well. Like it's a, it's a lower body injury on, on Pacheco, the Chiefs running back. So these things all add up to that this is not the Chiefs at their best from a health standpoint and a rest standpoint. Ravens, they're almost fully intact. They're laying four in Baltimore. I'll take the Ravens and lay the points. Okay. All right. We get to uh, the afternoon game with San Francisco in Detroit. Again, you know, San Francisco had that scare last week uh, against the Packers. Detroit been playing exceptionally well, but they've had they've won two playoff home games. Now they go on the road. Trev, how much are you buying into the the speed factor that Detroit has, especially at running back and wide receivers? I know you're a big Jameer Gibbs fan. We all are, but uh, are you buying into that? You know, facing that San Francisco defense on the road in the grass outside and maybe some sloppy conditions is going to hamper the Lions. Well, that will take away some of their explosiveness because of just the, the nature of the surface. When you're playing indoors on a carpet, everything is pristine, and you can be as fast as you can possibly be at all times. But you've got to understand how to slow down your cuts, how to you know, chop your feet a little bit instead of one cut and go sometimes, which the 49ers play at home all the time, 
on that field. And so they'll, they'll play at a higher theoretical potential or level of their potential than, than the Lions probably will. And keep this in mind that since about week 13 or 14, the Lions haven't been outdoors on grass. And when they were, uh, they, they played at the Bears and I think they only scored like 13 points. It, they weren't that great. Um, credit to the Bears, but at the same time, it's just a different surface. Now, having said that, the Lions have, um, with their speed at running back, still, I think, have ways to give the 49er defense a lot of headaches. The 49ers over the last month of the season have been awful at stopping outside runs. And Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery, these guys can get out there, especially Gibbs. And they have all kinds of outside runs the Lions do that take advantage of that kind of a vulnerability. They can pull guys out. They can crack back with the receivers coming down. They've got all kinds of play action off of that as well. And the 49ers will need to stop that first in order to be able to slow down the rest of this Lions offense. I expect the Lions to really focus there with the running game in general and outside runs in particular. And even though the speed will not be as explosive, I think that the vulnerability of the 49ers in that is something that the Niners will have to show that they have fixed because the Lions are fully capable of exploiting it if the 49ers are not fully back on their game. Hmm. Trevor, i got a question for you because part of both of my plays this week, this is a ba- part of the basis uh, for it. But last week you had the Ravens had a very bad first half doll effort. You had the 49ers doll effort. And those were your two number one seeds. Both of them had their number one seed clinched before the final week of the season. So not only did they have the bye week the week before uh, when we were at the wild card round, they also sat the starters the final week of the regular season. We hear the saying, rest versus rust. You being a former player, these key players for those two teams hadn't taken a meaningful snap in 20 or 21 days. Is that a factor to get back to game speed at the start of those games last week? You know, I think last week that was a, a, a factor. Uh, and you could tell it was a factor, especially with the 49ers. And the 49ers lost Debo Samuel. They're all everything, you know, receiver slash running back slash, slash, you know, line them up anywhere and do stuff in the first quarter to injury, and he, he still has, has got that shoulder injury, so we'll see how effective he could be in this game against the Lions. That's actually a huge factor in this game is, is what Samuel can do because so much of the offense works through him, and so much of the matchup formation slash motion slash everything else that they want to get him him on the matchups, go through what those matchups are against Samuel in any given situation. And so I'm not sure how much of the 49ers' poor performance on offense had to do with the fact that they had to kind of shift away from what they intended to do with Debo. Now, at the same time, though, Marco, you're absolutely right about the nature of that of that rust. Uh, you know, I, way back in the day, these are just some examples that, that stand out. I remember the 49ers with Steve Young, were uh, were just awesome one year, and they they I don't think they were they weren't undefeated, but they were nearly undefeated. And they just were on a roll at the end of the season, just on a roll. And 
I was worried about it because you just it's hard to keep up that consistency all the time. They crushed, I think it was the Vikings at the end of the regular season. Um, no, it wasn't the Vikings, it was somebody else. Then they played, I think, the Vikings in the first playoff game, and the 49ers were, uh, were beaten then because that's when they took a step back. It wasn't because of rust, it was because of consistency, right? And then you look at rust. I mean, from personal experience in college, the Holiday Bowl gained its reputation as being an exciting bowl game because of my team, BYU. Our, we were locked into that bowl as a uh, conference affiliation with the bowl, and we were a passing team. And at the, between the end of the regular season and the Holiday Bowl, we weren't able to practice to the degree that we could simulate a game because you just can't do it. We got to the bowl game. We ended up falling behind in the first half, and then we'd mount a furious comeback in the second half. Sometimes we'd win, sometimes we wouldn't, but it was always exciting for the fans. And it's because of that rust versus um, versus rest. So you got the two problems. One is that you know you, if you're consistent all the time and you're great all the time, you're going to have a letdown. The other is if you don't play for a while, it takes you a little bit of time to get back up to speed. And I think both the Ravens and the 49ers had that rust versus rest lull last week, but now I think it's not a thing anymore. And now I think the rest, since they survived last week, certainly the 49ers survived, the the Ravens ended up thriving, had a great second half. Uh, I think now the advantage goes all the way to those number one seeds because now they are more rested and less banged up. All right. 